Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Reverend Don Lewis coming to you from Witchschool.com. Are you looking for the best in pagan and magical education? With more than 12,000 pages, Witchschool.com is like having your own personal library with individual learning assistance to help you study. And Witchschool's Anyone, Anytime, Anywhere education system is available any place on earth, anywhere you are and anytime you want it, as long as you have an internet connection. Witchschool's lifetime memberships are a great value. They really do last a lifetime. They've been there for years, and they'll be there for years to come. So get your membership today at witchschool.com. You're listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight. Good evening, good morning, good night, good second breakfast. Whenever you are, wherever you are, my name is Laura Gonzalez, and I'd like to welcome you to this Lunatic Mondays, Lunas Lunaticos, the very first and only pagan bilingual show on Pagans Tonight Radio Network for witchcool.com. And hi, Darren. I see Darren already in the chat room. I see some guests coming in and out. Uh, tonight we have a very special show, yes. We have Monica Demes tonight on our show. She's going to be talking about Lilith's Awakening. Uh, we also have the sections towards the end of the show. We're going to have rune readings tonight. We're going to have oracle readings. And we're going to have a tarot reading for the week. So don't miss that. Uh, tonight we're going to skip the Wheel of the Year because, you know, we are all kind of pretty much in between. Um but without further ado, let me present to you our guest for tonight, Monica Demes. Monica Demes is an awarded Brazilian film director and screenwriter. She studied law and film in Rio de Janeiro and Madrid, where she lived for 11 years. In 2002, in New York, attending a filmmaking workshop at the New York Film Academy, Demes directed her first short film in 60 millimeters called Rose. After working with the Mexican director Luis Chapdal on a documentary called La Furia de un Pasado Prohibido, for the Mexican television, Demis was hired by mobile phone company Genesis Mobile to direct a comic sketch uh, for mobile content producing on location in Venezuela, Colombia, Brazil, Argentina, and Spain. In Spain, Demis collaborated with an artist, Carmelo Calvo, to direct her first animated and award-winning short Halloween, which caught the attention of David Lynch. Lynch personally awarded Demis an intro into the coveted David Lynch MA in film at the University of MUM Fairfield, Iowa in 2014. Lilith's Awakening 2016 is Monica's first feature film, and it was awarded in the U.S., US Europe, and Brazil. And Monica is just winning awards left and right. Uh, she's very talented, and we are very happy to have her here. So here we go to uh, listen to Monica Demis and everything she had to say to us on this pre-recorded interview. Hello, my dear Monica Demis. How are you today? Hi, I'm fine. Thanks for having me here at your program. 
Uh, we're very happy to have you here on Lunatic Mondays. Um, we're so very happy of all the success of Lilith's Awakening. And we know the process of the movie has been fantastic, literally fantastic. Uh, and we we met you back in the day when we were doing Pagans Tonight in Espanol. And you were promoting the film um, El Diario de una Hechicera. Uh, I don't know if it has a name in English or not, but um, Diary of a Sorceress. Diary of a Sorceress, indeed. Uh, so, Monica, first I have to ask you because this is really important for everyone to know. There's a David Lynch connection to Lilith's Awakening, and it is a fantastic journey. I have been your friend, and I've been following you. Throughout the process, I was fortunate enough to know that you were going to participate on uh, this program. But why don't you tell the public that are listening about the whole process and how, uh, from the beginning of before even Lilith was born on your head, how it all started? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, uh, I heard about a competition that they were doing with short films at NUM University. And this competition was to the first master, uh, David Lynch master. And uh, you should, at the time you had to send a short film. It shouldn't be bigger than five minutes. And luckily I had one that I had shot in Spain, in Spain uh, an awarded short film. And uh, I sent this short film, and it was awarded there at Fairfield, Iowa, in NUM. So uh, I went there to do the David Lynch program, the master program. Um, during this master program, I was uh, lucky enough to receive, receive some advice of David and to use his techniques to develop the screenplay of the film and uh, also some techniques of directing actors. And uh, how how did you begin the process of Lilith, the Lilith Awakening? Where did you have the idea? Why Lilith? Um, it was using his techniques is like using um, avant-garde films techniques to build. So it's a little bit a, a different process. Um, it's more or less like this. You uh, think of a scene, you create one scene, then you create another scene, and then you create a third scene. In these scenes, you have characters and something happens. So after you, you build three scenes, you have to find the story that will unite the three scenes. And that's how you build the screenplay of the story. So uh, the first scene I wrote was um, the scene where um, there is this mysterious woman on the road and a guy gives her a ride and he starts to arrest, um, tell things to her like he wants to sleep with her and he can become violent trying to force himself on her. And we think it's going to be a scene where mm, this woman is going to be almost raped by him. And she turns to be Lilith. 
So the scenes end up with uh, Lilith getting over mind control over him and sucking his blood. That was the first scene I developed. The second scene I developed was a scene where Lucy is inside a car with a guy and they have a forbidden love scene where she's married and she cannot be with him and he works in the gas station of her dad and he wants to be with her. He forces himself on her, but she likes him. And uh, they are supposed to meet somewhere after that scene. So that was the second scene I, I wrote. So the whole story of Lilith's Awakening comes combining both scenes. A powerful woman who can destroy by a violent moment that comes from a man from one side and in the other side a woman who is more sweet and um, who is under the power of a man who is hunting her. Um, for, for those of us who have been fortunate enough to see the film, because I, and I have to thank you publicly, uh, Monica, for letting me watch the film. The film is fantastic, and those very scenes that you are describing, no wonder they are, in my opinion, some of the most powerful scenes. And I wouldn't want to give away much of the film, but the intimacy of both scenes is, it is scary in a way, but it is also so alluring and is very much like the myth of Lilith. Um, why are you obviously attracted and fascinated by Lilith and by the myth of Lilith? For those who don't know who okay. Lilith is, can you tell us a little bit about her? Uh, Lilith comes from the Kabbalistic mythology, from Jewish Kabbalistic mythology. Um, she was supposed to be uh, the first wife of Adam. Uh, so when God created the earth, he also created the man and the woman. And from earth, God created men and women. That's that's the myth of Lilith. So she's supposed to be the first wife of Adam. But one day, she told Adam that she wanted to try something different. That when they were having sex, she didn't want to be underneath. She wanted to try to be over him, above him. And uh, he didn't want to try that. And she got pissed off. They had a big discussion. And in this discussion, she said the forbidden name of uh, God. So she was banished, being expelled from paradise. And Adam became lonely on earth. And because he was lonely, he asked the father to please bring her back, forgive her and bring her back. So God sent angels to talk to Lilith and asking her to come back. And she said, I will never go back there again. Cursed to be the first demon of earth and the first one who sucks blood from humankind. This is the myth of Lilith. Um, why I use this myth in my film? Because Lilith represents the first feminist that ever occurred in humankind. 
She represents the woman who rebels herself against a system, a patriarchal system, and she says, no, I don't want to live like that. I want to have an opinion, and I want to have power over my body, and I want to have my own rules, and I want to be happy like that. So she's called a demon, just like the first feminists, the ones who made able for me and for you to go vote today or to drive a car or even travel with a passport. Things that uh, we were born with that because we were lucky enough to have women like Lilith in our past so they could fight for our rights. That is so... Uh, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead. Yeah, just to connect with um, a horror film, because um, this is a, an art horror film. Um, why do I use that language? Because horror films are the kind of films that use mythology. They don't work with uh, real life. They work with myths or fairy tales or symbols. And those symbols, they talk into our unconsciousness. They don't talk to us in a direct way, but they talk through dreams and they talk through things that will make who we are not a reflection of the ordinary day life, but deeper issues that live inside of us. So uh, as, it, as it was a horror film, I could be able to bring Lilith to life there and to bring that symbol of all feminists back. I think it's a good moment for that. It is indeed the the political environment that we are living uh, in this day and age with, uh, you know, I don't have to go into specifics. We all know about the political environment that we're living. Um, you are from Brazil. You grew up in Brazil. How was it or how when in your life do you encounter that women were treated differently from men? Oh, oh, all my childhood. I remember when I was a little girl that my dream was to become a man. And I could only understand when I grew up why I wanted to be a guy. Because in all the films I was watching, the hero was always a man. So I used to have those dreams that... Uh, you know, when you were four or five years old, my dreams were like uh, I was in an apartment and then I would hear someone screaming, help. And then I would take my clothes off and I was Superman. And then I would jump from the window and try to help the, the girl who was screaming. It was always a girl screaming. I would go help her. But um, something like I, I would get stuck in the middle and in the end I could never save anyone. But the simple fact that I would associate myself to be a man, to save someone, means that we were reflected only as victims in films. We would never be the saviors. So I think it's very much connected to my childhood that I wanted to make a film that someone who would save another one would be a girl instead of a boy, you know? At what age did you know, I want to be a film director, I want to write films? Uh, you were saying now that when you were very little, you watched films and, and you wanted to be the hero. Was there when you knew that you wanted to be a filmmaker or that came up it's later in life? It, it's not that you want to be a filmmaker. I think since you were little, 
since I was little, I was a filmmaker, which is different. It's like you live a, a reality that it's more than reality. You connect with things in another way. I was always writing stories. I was always directing my cousins and tell them, you're going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then you're going to be the superhero. There was always a story and there was always uh, directing people to act. Always. So everything you see in your life then is, is the scene of a film. That is very intriguing and I love how you uh, talk about it because it's a little bit like being a witch. You know, since uh, I remember my childhood, I was always making potions and I was always directing my energy and healing people and doing stuff like that. Oh, wow. Definitely Monica Lemes was born to be a filmmaker uh, and there was no question about it. And we're very thankful for that because your films are really wonderful. I, I've seen probably three or four of your short films, uh, the Halloween one. It is so beautiful. How, uh, for people I know, for people who haven't seen it, we're going to put the website there where we, they can go to your page and see it. How how the Halloween short film came to you? Um, I was in Spain at the time. And um, I, uh, in the beginning of that year, it was the month of October. In the beginning of that year, my grandmother had died in Brazil, and I was so sad when she died. I was really like six months have, having nightmares with her death, and she would die again and again in each dream I would have. And uh, one day, I, uh, a friend of mine gave me a phone call, and she she asked me, Monica, um, would you like to make a documentary about witches? And I said, witches? She said, yeah, there is, uh, in the north of Spain, there is a lot of Celtic tradition and um, a lot of Celtic wishes, witches. Um, why don't we investigate about it and we do something? I said, okay, I'm going to check it out. So I started to check it out about it, and I, I found out that in Madrid there was this um, the thing called reclaiming, reclaiming the powers of the goddess. So I, I found out that the owner of a sex shop who was a friend of mine had a, um, a partner in the business who was a witch from reclaiming. So I went there to talk to her and I said, hey, they told me you were a witch. How come? What's that about? Just She laughed and she gave me a book. It was called The Spiral Dance. And she said, read it. You're going to understand. So I started reading that book and it, it was amazing because everything I ever thought in my whole life and I never told anyone was written in that book. It was written by Starhawk. So uh, I decided to make a course. They had a weekend course um, of Celtic magic because I wanted to know that people and I, I, I wanted to know all those things about that book. So I went there and um, I met them, I really enjoyed the weekend, and I found out that I could learn a lot about myself if I was meeting those people um, in these Sabbaths they had. The Sabbaths are 
the meetings they have every month and a half during a year uh, that goes to according according to Celtic tradition. So we would meet, and the next one was Halloween. Um, it was Samhain, and we were supposed to bring a picture of someone who died in our families. So I, I thought, I don't know if I should take my grandmother's picture. I, I don't think I'm going to do that. So I went there without the picture, and I saw the ritual and how they did it. And when I came back home, I started looking at my grandmother's picture. And it was the first time where that picture talked to me. And it could heal me in a unconscious level. That's how I started to feel better about her death and to talk to her even though she was not there. So because I felt better because of because of that ritual and because of the connection with the death, um, I decided to make a short film that would be a homage to Halloween. That's why it's called Halloween. So uh, I decided to bring something of my childhood that uh, um, in that little short film and mix with with a homage to, to Halloween, and that's the story how it came to life. I went to look for an artist because I don't know how to draw, but I was lucky enough to meet this guy called Carmelo Calvo, and um, he was the one who drew the little girl without eyes. And uh, I wrote the story and I directed the actors, and that's the story of that animation. That is so fascinating, and I really recommend people to to look for Monica's films, the ones that are available online. There's a number of them. Uh, I know, I think I've seen them all. I really love your work, and I really want to ask you something that it might be private, it might not be private. However, if you feel that you want to answer this question, please go ahead. Um, is Monica Demis a witch? I admire a lot the witches, and I think they belong to the the well-being of humankind. But I think a witch is someone who heals another people. And I have very good friends that I can call witch better than myself. But politically, I consider myself a witch. You know what I mean? Yep. And I strongly believe that through your films and through your stories that you share with us, there is a sense of healing because uh, for people who see Lilith's Awakening, believe me, there is going to be some healing, some transcendental truths that, as you were saying earlier, they speak to us to a deeper level, not not so much on the conscious level. Um and we will be happy, obviously, to <laughs> to call you a witch, to welcome you in the realm. You are uh, 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 definitely a mover and a shaker. And with that, we're going to go to a, a musical break. We will be right back. We are here with an interview with Monica Demis, uh, director and writer of the film Lilith's Awakening. 
We'll be right back. Listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, 
one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagan Tonight. And we're back here live on Lunatic Mondays. Lunatic Lunaticos, the very first and only so far bilingual show for uh, Pagan Tonight Radio Network. My name is Laura Gonzalez, and I welcome everyone that is joining the chat room. Uh, tonight we're chatting with Monica Demes on a pre-recorded interview. Uh, we really try to have her live, but uh, live I mean <laughs> live. Yeah, Laura. We try to have her live, but uh, as is understandable, she has like a million and seven uh, commitments going on right now, and she's traveling the world. And logistically, her times and our times couldn't coincide. But uh, we did this interview with a lot of love for all of you. And sorry about it. I know it sounds a little funky, uh, but please bear with us because the rest of the interview is really, really amazing. Um, and for those who are listening live and for those who are listening, will listen later on the podcast, let me tell you about a little bit that is coming up for this show during the month of April and May. Um, so for those who speak English, on April 17, we will have Chris Lown, and he's going to be talking about his book, Underworld Shamanism, Myth, and Magic on the 17th of April. Uh, on May 1st, we will have Leo Brown, who also wrote a book called Honey, I'm Fabulous, and So Are You. And we're going to have a little bit of a tarot night that night because he is also a tarot reader. And we also will have River, the organizer of San Luis Pagan Pride, and he's going to be, uh, I'm sorry, San Luis Pagan Picnic, and he's going to be talking to us about that. Uh, on May 15th, we have Keith and Aaron, uh, doing the Fairy Tales 3. Uh, those shows from Fairy Tales have been very, very uh, interesting. People really like them a lot. And I know Aaron still had a lot of questions for Keith. So they're going to come back on May 15th to redo, uh, to do yet another uh, installment of Fairy Tales. This will be our third show on that, um, on that theme. And on May 29th, we will have Selena Fox, and we will have River both talking about PSG and talking about the St. Louis Pagan Picnic, which is coming up. And guess what? I will be there. I will be doing uh, workshops and tarot readings. So we're very happy to have them both uh, on May 29th. And for those folks who speak Spanish or are bilingual, on April 10th, we will have, again, Monica Demes uh, talking now in Spanish about Lilith's Awakening. And on April 24th, we will have Claudine Prieto talking about the Mystic Fair in Brazil and talking about the Dianic tradition and how him and Christian Ortiz are the only two men initiated on the, Dian- uh, the Dianic tradition of Susana Budapest. So that's going to be a really, really interesting show on April 24th. Um, on May 8th, uh, commemorating the the day, the Mother's Day, International Mother's Day, we will have some pagan mothers who are going to be talking about how they raise their children, either on a pagan faith or not. Uh, we will have Harwe Tuileva from Spain. We will have Yolanda Menaces from Spain. We will have uh, Monica Govin from uh, Argentina. And we will have Nove Lasso from El Salvador. All these ladies are moms, and they're going to talk to us about their experiences. And on May 22nd, on Spanish, we will have a tarot night. We're going to have another installment of tarot night uh, for those people who speak Spanish. 
So stay tuned for Lunatic Mondays, Lunas Lunaticos. Obviously, everything is going to be posted on our page on Facebook. And uh, now we're going to go ahead and listen to the second part of this interview that we pre-recorded with Monica Demis. Um, so here I, I leave you with that. We'll be right back. And we're back here with Monica Demes. We're so very happy to have you here today. Um, I know you've been going throughout the whole world, sharing the world of Lilith and Lilith's Awakening. Tell us a little bit about this adventure. When did you start presenting the film on festivals and all of the awards that you've won already? And please don't hold back. Uh, tell us everything about this, this trips and this film festivals and all the awards that you've won already. Uh, the first one, the first trip I did, the film was not even over yet. It was like uh, the internet version was ready, but the, the film actually was not ready yet. And it was not a festival. It was a premiation night, uh, an award night, sorry. And um, it was in Iowa where I shot the film. They had this uh, award night for films made in Iowa or films made by Iowa, something that was related to Iowa's people. Um, it was uh, made by the Iowa Motion Picture. So um, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. I, I flew back to Fairfield and um, met a couple of friends there, and we went to the award night. And that day we got three awards. It was amazing. The film was not even ready. And we got for Best uh, Director, Best Actress, and Best Cinematography. A um, lot of celebration. I went back to L.A., and then I found out the film was selected to have its world premiere at Dances with Film Festival in the Chinese Theater in L.A. So it was like, wow, we're going to premiere in the Chinese Theater. That could be cool. Um we went there, we made a big party, it was amazing, it was great to be there. So I flew back to Brazil, um, and some, like, two months later, I was flying back to Europe to Premier Lilith in Scandinavia. It was the biggest horror film festival of Scandinavia, Lund Fantastic Film Festival, and that was a, quite an experience because it was in Sweden. Um, and I remember one night when I was alone in a little hotel in Sweden, looking at my clothes. I had separated the clothes of my premiere. They were over a chair. And I was supposed to premiere in the following day. And I was alone in a hotel in Sweden in a small town. And I thought, wow. This is when I became a filmmaker. I'm traveling around the world alone in a little hotel room. So I had that feeling, no, that I had become a filmmaker. It was amazing. Um, I flew back to Spain, and then I had another festival there, which is called Orensi International Film Festival. And that was the biggest film festival Lilith was until that moment. It was... a um, author film festival, an art house film festival, and uh, the budget of the film festival was um, 
200,000 euros. So it was a big, beautiful festival. And the place where we premiere in Spain was amazing. Like the auditorium was so big and so fancy and so beautiful. And I met another Spanish filmmaker there. Had a great time and had a great experience. Was giving interviews to a lot of newspapers from the region. Um, and then I came back to Brazil. I had another two film festivals here. We won uh, in Sao Paulo Best Picture and Best Director for Lilith in a horror film festival from from the biggest web page of horror films of Latin America, which was called Boca do Inferno Film Festival. And we had the great news that we won also a festival in Rome. Uh, it was called the Optical Theater Festival. And it's quite a prestigious festival in in the horror business. And we won Best Director there. It was great. And then um, I went to another film festival in Brazil, which was called Mostra Trash. And I have the privilege to meet a lot of Brazilian filmmakers who make horror films there. It was quite an experience. Very good way to come back to Brazil. And now um, we are going to start the new season of festivals in April, in the end of April. We are going to be in the biggest film festival of Latin America, the biggest and most prestigious one. It's called Buenos Aires International Film Festival. And um, I'm going to present the film and compete for best picture in the avant-garde section. It's one of the most stimulant sections of the festival, so I'm, I'm very excited about that. It's a great way to go back to Buenos Aires. We're going to be there on April 21, April 22, and April 24. And obviously, for those who have been following you since since El Diario de Una Chispera, I apologize, I keep forgetting the name in English. Um, What is it, The Diary of a Sorceress? Yes. Yes, The Diary of, of a Sorceress. When when did you make that film? Was it 2010? Oh, I don't remember, but no, it was later. I think it was 2000. It was either 2011 or 2012. And silly me, I have it right here in front of me. Diary of a Sorceress. Hello. Um, and uh, but I don't see the year. But uh, 2012. Yes. Um, so from 2012 to 2017. It's been quite a ride. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about the process of, of choosing the characters and choosing the actors for for uh, Lilith's Awakening, but I would like to ask what is coming after April, after the next festival. If there's more festivals coming, when is Lilith's Awakening going to be out there for the pub, general public to see it? What will be the process for that? Um, I cannot talk about the other festivals yet because they were not announced to the press yet. So I, I only can talk until Buenos Aires Film Festival. Uh, I am only supposed to talk about them after the festival released the name to the press of the films that were selected. 
Understandable. Um, and about the distribution, uh, we were we are, we are actually seeking for word distribution. So when we have a contract signed of distribution, we are going to publish in our web page, which is liliesawakening.com. And all those links to follow Monica Demis and all those links to see and to follow Lilith's Awakening are currently being posted on the chat room and they will be posted on the page of Lunatic Mondays. Um, so without further ado then, uh, tell us a little bit about the process. So you tell us you developed three scenes and those scenes are the ones that actually develop the story. So now you have a story. Um, and you're ready to film, how do you go about choosing the actors and the actresses? Because they are all fantastic. They are all very good looking, by the way. And and they're amazing actors and actresses. So how do you go about that process, Monica? It was actually very lucky and instinctive at the same time. Lucky because I was in Fairfield, Iowa, in the middle of um, corn and you know, corn belts, and it's not so easy to find an actor as when you are in New York. But uh, I was lucky enough um, to have my main actress studying at NUM University. She was uh, doing a course of creative writing. So I didn't know she was going to be my actress yet, but uh, I, was, I had a friend who was uh, directing a television series to shoot there. And... Uh, they made a reading of the text at the cafe of Cafe Paradiso, which is a a coffee shop there. And I went to watch it because I was a friend of the other director. And uh, Sophia Woodward was there reading among another 12, 12 actors. And when I put my eyes on her and I saw her, I knew that if God had had a daughter instead of a son, it would be her. Like, she looked like the sister of Jesus Christ. She had that energy. And so I said, that's my Lucy. But I didn't know she was a good actress yet. I just know that she looked like the girl I wanted. So I went to talk with my friend and... I asked her, is she a good actress? And she said, she's fantastic, Monica. And I said, wow. So I had to talk to her. So I, I went to have a coffee with with her. And I started talking to her and see how she moved while we were talking. I was, how she speaks. And I was imagining her being Lucy. And when I asked, after that coffee, we had, I, I, knew, I knew she would be my protagonist. She was perfect to be my Lucy. So I asked her, do you want to do a vampire film? And she said she was a big fan of vampires since she was a little girl. So she said, yeah, I would love to. Um, and that's how I got her. But the first actress that I had in mind was actually my Lilith. It was Barbara Eugenia. Um, she's my friend since I am 19 years old. And she is actually a, a, a well-known pop singer in Brazil. And ever, ever since I, I knew I was going to do a vampire film, I knew my vampire had to be Barbara. I knew it just because she has that look 
that is a deep look with sensuality and wildness, but it's also cold at the same time. She has those that face like an animal, and that's so beautiful and majestuous. So I knew that she was she had that dark energy that's just the opposite of the energy of Sophia Woodward. I knew they were the right couple for that film. About the boys, um, the guy who makes um, the father of Lucy, uh, Steve Canavan, he plays Abe, which is a joke with Abraham Van Helsing from Dracula. Uh, So Abe, I knew, because uh, I thought, what kind of a guy nowadays would hunt vampires? So I thought, he has to be that kind of guy who is hearing uh, the radio station with those um, evangelical preachers all the time, and he had to be kind of a macho man, you know, the who lives in Fairfield. So I, I met this actor, Steve Kennison, and he told me that he used to be a... Um, wrestling fighter he used to be an actor in LA when he was younger and also a wrestling fighter and I said no way really you're a wrestling fighter and he said yeah and I said so please stand stand and cross your arms and he did it and I knew that he was eight when he crossed his arms I just knew it and I said I think you would be a very good mechanic in my film and he said no way I was a mechanic also when I was younger so that was we knew it. It was perfect. It was him. It was him. And um, he was actually the guy who could get me the contact to the gas station, which is the old gas station of Iowa there in the film. The owner of the gas station was a very friendly lady, and the, he was the one who made the contact with her for us to get that gas station. So Steve was very valuable, not only as an actor, but also as a uh, researcher of um, places to shoot. And um, then we have the art, Arthur, our character, who is in my both scenes, the both main scenes, the one in the car with Lilith and the one in the car with Lucy. Art was actually my classmate from the Dave the Lynch mastering film and he's also a singer and um, I saw a video a music video he shot for one of these songs and when I saw that music video he had a very close shot of his mouth and when I saw his teeth I knew I wanted to do something with that teeth something with that mouth that face was perfect for my film so uh, he had that kind of wildness in all his characters of bad boy at the same time. And he also has some sensibility. So he was perfect to do art, this character who is a little bit like, hmm, what's the name of that guy who died young, who was James Dean. Yeah, he had that sense of James Dean in him. That's why. Um, please go ahead. I was going to say he does indeed. And I know uh, back in the day when we were planning for this show, 
that I comment to you about that scene on the car when he is with Lucy and the intimacy of the scene and the close-up and indeed his faces, uh, their faces are both fascinating, but that scene, I really want to talk about that scene, but I want to let you finish with the, with the choosing of the actors. But yes, indeed, he has that quality of uh, ambivalence, of attraction, and and also kind of like a little bit of fear. But go ahead with, with the selection of the actors. Uh, and that's, we have two more actors. Uh, the, the one who plays the husband of Lucy, Jonathan. Well, I um it's also an homage to Dracula, of course. Um, Jonathan Harker. Uh, I was like, when I was younger, I always hated the ending of Dracula, where uh, Lucy is saved by Jonathan and Abraham von Helsing, and then she becomes a housewife for the rest of her life. And I was always wondering what would happen to Lucy after she met all the, that passion that she had with Dracula and then after becoming Jonathan's housewife again. So I start the film when she is already his housewife, no? She's, Lucy is married to to Jonathan in the, in the beginning of my film. And so I, I try to find an actor that would reflect that sense of um, day life, boringness, and never being able to leave a place where you don't want to be anymore. And I think Sam did a very good job in that sense. And then we have the policewoman, which is Eden West, great actress. She was the one who helped me putting those lines looking like I.O. and people lines, not a Brazilian director lines. And uh, Eden was great. She, I think she gives a kind of a comic uh, point to the film. And also she's the one who gives action in the ending of the film. And she is the authority coming inside of the gas station and noticing that there is something wrong going on there. So I, I like that scene very much when they, they look at each other inside the gas station. And she says, uh, did he feel attracted to you? <laughs> and Lucy says, no. And she's in the end, she says, be careful, Mrs. Harker. And she leaves. Yeah. Uh, this is all uh, such a fascinating process, and thank you for letting us go into the deep, deep, um, life of Lilith's awakening. Uh, Monica, we're gonna make uh, we're gonna take a little musical break, and then we come back to talk about those scenes and to talk about uh, the future of of Lilith's awakening. Uh, we'll be right back.
primera mujer. to Pagans Tonight. Pagans Unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight. And we're back here on Lunatic Mondays. Lunatic is the very first and only so far bilingual show for uh, Pagans Tonight Radio Network under the... uh, how do you say uh, patronage, maybe? I don't know how you say it. Uh, of witchpool.com. 
meaningwitchful.com space for this space. Um, there has to be a word for it. I, don't, I just don't remember the word. Anywho, um, we already talked about future shows on uh, Lunatic Monday. Don't forget, for those who speak Spanish and want to learn Spanish, obviously, uh, on April 10, we will have Monica Demes again. And the interview is pretty similar to the interview today. So if you want to brush up on your Spanish, uh, listen to us next week. <laughs> Seriously, is the best way to learn a language. Uh, and uh, also don't forget to stay tuned. After the interview, we have readings uh, for the week. We have room work by Amanda. and She has rooms for us for the week. And we have oracle readings by uh, Carolina Amor. And we will have a tarot reading by yours truly, tarot by Laura Gonzalez. Uh, you can also find me on Tuesdays at Nightcap Coffee Bar in Pilsen, Chicago. On Thursdays and Saturdays, you can find me on World Free Healing on Albany Park here in Chicago. And on Sundays, you can find me on uh, Sadnam Yoga in the West Loop here also in Chicago. And I also do uh, by phone and Skype readings, but enough of me, enough about me. Tonight is all about Lilith and about Monica Lemes. And we're going here with the third and last installment of this pre-recorded interview. Thank you so much, Monica, for being here, really. Um, she moved a lot of stuff on her calendar, so we were able to record this interview. So here it is, the third and last installment of this pre-recorded interview with Monica Demes, director, writer, and editor of Lilith's Awakening. And we're back here with Monica Demes. We're talking about Lilith's Awakening. Uh, Monica, you directed the film. You wrote the film. What else do you do with this film? I mean, this is solely your baby. You made it from beginning to end. Yeah, it was a very uh, crafted process. Um, I wrote it. I directed. I edited the film. And... Then I go around. It's like having a baby, really. It's like it takes three years, the whole process. So you have to choose very well which film you want to dedicate yourself to. Because once you start to write it, you really have to love what you're writing. Because it takes time. It takes three years of your life. Mm-hmm. And I think the results are obviously fantastic. I really cannot wait for people to to be able to see the film because it is great. So keep it on your radar, people. Really, Lilith's Awakening, it's a great film. Uh, Monica, we were talking earlier on the show about that scene uh, on the car. And again, I don't want to give away much of the film, but it is so intimate. It is so scary. It is so alluring. Are those emotions that you have found um, as a little girl, as a teenager, are those emotions you still find when when we're around men in the dark? What makes you uh, choose that scene and how it was crafted? Wow, that is specific scene. Um, actually, I use the moment of my life there too. You know that writers do that, right? Like we expose ourselves to little situations in order to grab the perfect. Uh, dialogue or uh, the, see what's going to go on if I do this or I do that to to have the perfect screenplay actually mm -hmm. uh, 
So it was like a, a little experiences in the daylight, knowing that I needed that to write. Um, I think it became maybe it's the best scene of the film, this one you're describing. Um, the best image would be for me the one in the woods when Lucy and Lilith unite in one. But in terms of scene, of whole scene, I think this one is the most powerful one, yeah. Um, it's always uh, incredible. I connected very much with the other scene because um, since we are little girls, we know that we have to be careful when you go out with a guy. You don't know what's going to happen if you go to a place when you don't know the the person, you know. Uh, he can take you anywhere and he can do anything with you, right? This is this is what we learn when we, we are kids. So mm -hmm. it's different when you are a woman walking alone on the streets than when you are a man. You, you feel different. So in that in that sense, my my film is very feminine because it all it reflects a lot of the fears we had when we were teenagers. I think it's very youth in that sense. It's very much connected to sensuality. Um, I, I'm fascinated by a, by a phrase that Lucy says. She says, sometimes I'm afraid of what I desire. Uh -huh. And I think a lot of women feel that way. We, we tend to feel that way precisely when we are in those young, early ages of our teenage life when we're discovering sensuality and sexuality. Um, why does it happen to Lilith so late in life? Why do you think she's very young, but she's already married and she's uh, kind of like being controlled all the time. Why do you think she has this awakening through Lilith um, at this moment? What pushes her to do that? That thing in the film, in the story happens because she had a very sensual scene with art, but she knows that art is not going to take her to a better life than what she has. It can only goes down with him, even though she feels some desire for him. She knows it's not that. So I think there is a point in our lives when we are controlled and when you know, let me put it in this way, when you know that you do not belong in a place and you don't have how to get out of it because you don't know where to go or you don't know what to do to change the situation, something inside of your head happens. Because if something outside doesn't happen, something inside has to happen. If it doesn't come from outside, it comes from inside. And when I say from inside, I mean from your dreams. Your dreams are going to start to tell you what to do. This is what happens in real life. And what happens in real life guides your life. I mean, it starts in your unconsciousness. And then it becomes part of your life because it enters in your head through your unconsciousness. Since you are so blocked in the way that you live your life, you are so repressed in everything that is around you. There is one place that you cannot control, and that is your dreams. 
and that's gonna in this film her dreams take care of her life her consciousness becomes so so strong the shadows that she's hiding become so big that they take control of her life and that's how Lilith comes to life it comes through from her head from the unconsciousness and it takes care of all of her and all of the city in the end uh, this is so fantastic to go so deep into the process of, of the film and the creation of it. Um, asking you about the creation of the film, I was fascinated by the colors that you choose to use. Can you talk to us a little bit about why those colors? Yeah, I always knew the film was going to be in black and white because it was a fairy tale. So the first thing you you notice when you see a black and white picture is that this is not real life. We're seeing colors. So if, if you, every time you see a film that's in black and white, that's not real life. That's something else. That's something beyond reality. So I wanted to start a film like that. So what I did was I got my iPhone and I was seeing everything around in black and white. I was shoot all the places I wanted to to, to shoot the movie in black and white, look for locations in black and white. It also gives more sensuality to the scenes because uh, it has more texture, the black and white and colors. The colors, they distract you. And the black and white, it's like if you could touch the thing. So it gives that sense of sensuality. It makes it bigger, it makes it greater, it makes more tactile. Um, and I use some glimpses of color in some specific moments, especially in the blood. And in the red lips she has after the transgression she does with art in the car. She's married. Some little glimpses of color to spark some moments and emotions in the film. It really is a fascinating process. Thank you, Monica, for letting us go so deep into your head and, uh, you know, see that creative process. Um, where was the film uh, shoot? Where do you, where was your locations? Uh, the film was entirely shot in Iowa. Um, most of it in Fairfield, Iowa, uh, which is the world capital of transcendental meditation. And why that's why the David Lynch course is there. The MFA is there. And, um, the gas station is in Mount Pleasant, which is kind of uh, 40, 40 minutes from uh, Fairfield, and it's the oldest gas station of Iowa. Uh, when you present it, um, when you present the film, when you present it to your actors, what is the reaction? How excited they get about doing this or that? Um, Abe, of course, Abe sounds like a fantastic person. Uh, mm -hmm. We hate him throughout the whole film. <laughs> How do your actors deal with that? Um, actually, we, you know, when you finish the film, um, we did we did a closing. It was not allowed for the audience to go, but we 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 hired the city's uh, theater, and we make a guest um, screening. So people who worked in the film could see it, and people who landed their locations or who rented their business for us or whatever. Anyone who could have helped us anyway in the film was invited to that section in the theater. And it was all from the Midwest and from 
uh, Fairfield or from Unpleasant. So we did the section and when the film was over, I was there with the mic talking to people and uh, answering questions and everything. And uh, it was, I was quite nervous because I thought, how is this gonna, people going to react with this film? It's such an art house film, such an author film. If they are not used to see that in television, it's so different from everything they see. And it was such a cool night. It was amazing. Like the, the owner of the gas station, Thelma, she was so cool. She said she really enjoyed having us in the gas station shooting there. And she was such a loving lady. Um, the actress, Eden West, the one who plays the policewoman, she loved it. She she was saying, oh, I want to do all my films with you. You're amazing. Um, Steve was, was happy with it. I think uh, pretty much happy with it. Barbara, she's so funny because she says, this is such a strange film. And then she laughs. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. It is indeed a strange film. It's right on our alley for all the listeners of Lunes Lunaticos, Lunatic Mondays. Really, let's hope and let's, uh, you know, help with our energy. I'm a great believer, of course, of energy. We want this film to be picked by a production house and, and, and a distribution house, rather, uh, where we can all see it. Monica, we'd like to thank you so very much for being with us tonight. And is there anything else that we haven't said yet about Lilith that needs to be said at this moment? Uh, I, I just remember something about the projection day, the screening day that I didn't mention. Uh, it was from the audience. To my surprise, in that day, I found out that uh, most of the women who had more than 50 who were watching that film that night in the theater, they love that scene when they think the girl is going to be raped and she becomes Lilith. They were so happy about it. It was like one of the uh, the ladies said, yeah, I thought she was going to be raped. And then he, he did what she did with him and he deserved it. He so much deserved it. And then I realized that some of the women there, they were, they passed through that situation when they were younger, you know? So it was a kind of revenge to them, what was happening in that car, in that scene. I was happy for them. Yes. There you have the power of healing that I was talking about earlier, because I think all of us women... Uh, when people get to see that scene, we are all like, yes, <laughs> you know, it is fantastic. Um, thank you so much, Monica, for being with us today. Uh, we wish you the best of fortune, the best of luck. Uh, the talent is there. And uh, I know I was going to ask you this question because we asked it uh, backstage a couple of months ago. Will there be a Lilith's Awakening 2? Do you think there there is... I, as an spectator, I see a lot of room for a second part. You as a filmmaker, as a director, as a writer, can you see a second part of Lilith? 
uh, Laura, um, I'm actually finishing my second screenplay now, and it's a ghost story. So I, I think the Vampire saga is, is there, and maybe in the future it's going to be a second one, but right now my head is full of ghosts. Wow. So we will have to wait for the ghosts to come. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Monica, for being on Lunatic Mondays today. And we wish you, as I said earlier, the best of luck. And keep winning those those awards. Every time you post that there's another award, believe me, there's like a dance going on here in my chair because we really admire your work. And we are very, very thankful that this film, international award-winning filmmaker is today on Lunatic Mondays. Monica Demes, everybody. Thank you so much, Monica. Laura, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me here. I really enjoyed the conversation and time with you. Thank you, and good luck to you, too. Thank you so much. Good night, everyone. Good night. But don't go anywhere just yet. Don't go anywhere just yet, because we have the readings tonight um, for the week. We have uh, room readings, we have oracle readings, and we have tarot readings. Um, I don't want to go before I say, I know I told Monica, but if she ever listens to this podcast in its entirety, Monica Demes, you are fantastic. I really enjoy doing the interview with you, and we really, really wish you all the success in the world because uh, Lilith's Awakening, it is indeed a healing uh, film, and we are hoping that uh, probably next year it will be available for all of us to watch, so... Without further ado, let us do the readings for the week. So we have Oracle readings by uh, Carolina Moore. Her website is carolamore.com. And she sends us this brief reading for Lunatic Mondays. The time has come to shift our perceptions and leave the past behind. We don't need to repeat the stories of our ancestors. Instead, have faith and know that life is an adventure. Shift from victim to owning your destiny. It's only a change in perception. She utilized the Vintage Wisdom Oracle by Victoria Mosley, and that Oracle reading will be posted both on the uh, Lunatic Mondays page, and it will also be posted on the event page for this show. So you can go ahead and go look at the Oracle there and read the, um, the Oracle reading that she sent us um, for today. And then we're moving on to the room reading. This is uh, room work by Amanda, and she tells us, the central force at work this week is Berta, the rune of motherhood, and as such, it represents two seemingly contradictory energies of a place of safety and nurturing and creativity and new beginnings. So this week is all about the challenge of holding on to what we have without stagnating, of growing without taking unnecessary risks. What to do? Hagel is the rune of bad weather and the obstacles and chaos it represents, but it can also represent controlling that chaos, seeking shelter and being prepared. Change, um, change can be difficult, and while Hagel warns against bringing too much change too fast, the Princess of Verka shows that change is unavoidable, so Hagel tells us to take care and be ready to seize the opportunity. Hewas is the rune of initiation and climbing the world three. And as such, it also stands for steady, gradual change and growth. 
It can also stand for endurance and protection, another reminder to cultivate your safe place represented by Berkut. It's worth nothing that, ha that Hagal can represent nine months in the womb, and Ewes can stand for death and rebirth. Due to the central role of Berka in this reading, these energies are likely to be at the forefront this week. What not to do? Manas of interdependence, groups, and social order. So there it is um, a warning not to rely on those things during the coming period of change. However, this time this does not mean you have to go it alone. Berka being a rune of family, now you should be relying on your physical or spiritual family rather than large communities of social groups. Manas is also the rune of mental ability, thinking, and analysis. And there is a warning about overthinking things and focusing too much on the problem. Surya stands for much of the same source of chaos and conflict as Hagel, and when the two appear together, especially when Manas is also present, it is a warning not to rush into new ventures, especially without advice, and it also serves as a reminder not to be overly aggressive or sad on needed conflict. So there you have both the readings for um, the Oracle reading and the room reading for this week. And I'm going to go ahead and read the tarot reading that I pulled just a few minutes ago for all of us for this week. And it reads reading for the week on uh, April 3rd of 2017 for Lunatic Mondays, courtesy of Tarot by Laura. As a tendency, we have the Queen of Swords. For this week, you've been inspired to have a cold head when making any decisions. Be just and compassionate with yourself and others. The Queen of Swords within you will help you make the right decision and will also help you express yourself clearly, directly, and in fairness. Don't hold back. Um, your word is your bond, and you hold the truth. What to do? Strength. You are inspired to find the strength within you and to be able to control your instincts. Don't let fear prevent you from moving on. Also, don't let revenge or anger spoil or hinder you. This is the moment you can prove to yourself that you're in control. This is not for anyone's benefit but your own. Only you can tame the beast. What not to do, the three of coins. Having friends and partners or partners in crime, otherwise, uh, gives us a sense of confidence. However, for this week, you are being advised to take care of business on your own. For what is worth, those who love you will understand that sometimes one has to go at challenges alone. Those who got upset because you need space, well, you don't need them on your space. Good time to weed the garden. And I utilize the Ryder White Smith Tarot, and you can find me on www.brujalauragonzalez.com. And as I said earlier, all these uh, readings will be posted on the Facebook page of Lunatic Mondays and also on the event page for tonight's interview with Monica Demet. And we're going to say goodbye tonight a little earlier than usual, but uh, what the heck. Uh, we're going to say goodbye tonight with uh, Lilith by Wendy Rule. And thank God and God as we have Lilith's song because it was a great way to accompany the interview. Um, as always, we uh, invite you to come back two weeks from today on our English version of this show, Limited Mondays. We're going to have Chris Long talking about his book of the underworld, uh, and it's going to be fantastic. He's part of the Brotherhood of the Phoenix, and he's going to be here exclusively talking about his book. 
So uh, we'll see you all next week and uh, on Spanish with Monica Demes and two weeks from tonight with Chris Holland talking about his book. So never forget that you are loved. Good night. Listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, 
in one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight. 